if you're watching and you're not from our church, forgive me. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit particularly about to our church and about where uh, to Soul Survivor Watford and uh, where we're heading uh, today. Uh, these are really, really difficult days, obviously. Um, the news the last couple of days, just two days ago, uh, the death toll was 1,325, which is the most we've ever had in one day. Yesterday was over 1,000 as well. Our hospitals are overwhelmed and the scientists and the medics say it's going to get worse. Um, it's just a tragedy and with many um, struggling financially with their businesses, um, with, with mental health issues, it's really tough and it doesn't make it, that's why I keep looking at how, uh, um, how many more seconds we've got of daylight each day because when it's so dark as well and so cold and so dreary, um, it, it, it just makes it harder. And yet, and yet, we have to say this because it's the truth, there is hope. There is hope, and I'm not talking about the vaccine. Yes, there is hope because of the vaccine coming, but we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have a hope, and our hope is Jesus Christ, and our hope is in Jesus Christ. We thank God for the vaccine. I can't wait to get the vaccine. Um, but, it, but our great hope, our greatest hope, is Jesus Christ, and it's him in whom we put our trust. And I just want to read to you uh, two passages of Scripture, and then over the next few minutes, I just want to talk about them. And, and first of all, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter says this to the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wonderful words, wonderful words. And then Paul, right at the end of Romans 8, just, just receive this into your spirit. Uh, verse 31 to the end. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding, praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, says Paul, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor, or, nor depth, or COVID, I added that, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, I pray that we would receive this word, that we would receive it not just in our heads, but in our hearts, in our spirits, in our souls. This is the truth. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the truth we believe. Now, I want to look at those two um, scriptures a little bit more as we talk about where we're going as a church. And we discussed this, whether I should talk about this on Tuesday at the pastor's meeting. And on Tuesday, we came to the conclusion that I shouldn't uh, because uh, we're in the middle of these present difficulties. And it, what does it mean to look ahead when we're, we're all focused on the now? And then at the, after the pastor's meeting, Andy phoned me and he said, you know what, I've been thinking about it and I actually think that we got it wrong. I think... I think we should look at the future. I think we should uh, grow our hope uh, because hope sustains us. Uh, one of the Proverbs says, without vision, the people perish. And sometimes just having vision and hope for the future and understanding of where we want to go can keep us in the present and can help us in the present. You know, God's people, uh, when they were persecuted, when they struggled, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they would do two things. They would look back and they would recount the goodness of God in their history. And they would look forward to what was to come. And we have a sure and certain hope, which is Jesus. But also, we have a vision for what we believe God is telling us that we should be and we should do. Without vision, the people perish. It is time to look forward. It is time to rise up and build. And you know that phrase, rise up and build, was, was used by Nehemiah when he said to the people of Jerusalem about the terrible state they were in, about Jerusalem's protective walls were broken down, its gates were burned with fire, and he said, we are in a terrible state. And then he said, rise up and build. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I believe with all my heart, that is one of God's words to us now. So to, to recap a little bit, but to add a bit more, who are we and where are we going? First of all, who are we? We are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God who brought us out of darkness into his marvellous light so that we might declare his praises. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. This is who we are this is our identity. We belong to him. Our identity is found in him. And nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. We are a people who are looked after 
by our good shepherd, but we are, we are prayed for by our great high priest who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and nothing and no one can separate us. <clears throat> who are we? We're a family. We are his family. And uh, we've emphasized that, and we want to emphasize it again and again and again. In an age, if there's one thing that, that I've realized in these days, over these months, it's, it's that the world in many ways is falling apart because people don't know how to do intimate, loving, forgiving, compassionate, merciful relationships. We've just seen this week the tragic and awful events in the States. Uh, we've seen in, in the way uh, people split apart the hate on Twitter, the hate uh, that, that is expressed, it's the nastiness um, in social media, uh, the way people are putting each other down, the way, pe way people are tearing each other apart, and the fact that there is so much emotional and mental illness and discord. One of the root causes is we've lost the art of relationships. We've lost the art of belonging. And we as a church, I believe, we believe with all our hearts, are called more and more to be a people who belong to him and to one another in a world that is falling apart. We are to be a light shining on a hill. We are to be a people who, who, for whom people know they can come and say, I want to belong here. I want to join with this bunch. I want to be part of this family. Um, and that means, and that means we interfere in people, in each other's lives, in the best way. Now, our, our spirit of independence in our world says, don't you tell me what to do. Don't you correct me. Don't you challenge me. And we see it as a negative thing. No, 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 no. I know that my, one of the, my roles in my life is to interfere in the way that Andy and Beth bring up their kids because I do know better, because I do know, I do know what those kids want. I do know what those kids need. And it wouldn't be loving for me to say, oh no, let them get on with it on their own. Someone who has interfered in my life for years and years and years, had his 90th birthday yesterday. My dear friend, my father in Christ, my um, my mentor, David Pitches, and, um, and I, I wrote a little thing on my Facebook and uh, my Instagram about David, and there's been hundreds of comments, if you add them all, the people that he has affected. And do you know, um, during this year of lockdown, I grew my hair, I grew my hair really long, and loads of people, um, they, they said, they didn't say anything about it, they said, yeah, it's fine. But do you know, as the moment I cut my hair, the moment, and I did it myself because I had to, um, the moment I did it, everyone came out of the woodwork saying, oh, this looks so much better, thank goodness. And then I said, it wasn't very good before, was it? And they said, no, it really wasn't. And I'm thinking, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you flipping tell me? For eight months, you didn't tell me. But one person did, David Pitches. He would tell me regularly, every time he phoned me, 
every time he would say, Michael, have you had your hair cut yet? It looks disgusting. It's awful. Why, why are you doing that? That's awful. And then when I phoned him yesterday to wish him a happy birthday, he said, I saw a photo of you on um, the internet. You've had your hair cut. Thank goodness. At last. Why did you put me through it all this time? It's so much better. Why did you not do it earlier? Do you know, we all need a David Pitches in our lives to tell us to get our hair cut. We all need to interfere in one another's lives. And if you think that it's just me interfering with Andy and Beth, you've got another thing coming. This man is constantly telling me where <laughs> I'm going wrong, and you know it. Uh, and, and that's part of being family. That's part of loving one another. That's part of being real. We want to be a people of the word and the spirit. It's not either or, it's word and spirit. Uh, we want to be faithful to God's word. We want to live by God's word. Uh, but also we want to be led by the spirit, the spirit who inspired the word, uh, leads us. We want to be a people who, who flow in the power of his love. And we want to aim for that. Uh, we want to be a people of compassion and mercy. We want to, that to define us. That, that we, and again, we've said this so many times. I'll say it one more time. You know, we want to hold to the highest standards that Jesus taught in morality and in ethics. But we want to also have the deepest level of compassion for all those who cannot attain those highest standards, the deepest levels of compassion that Jesus himself showed. He said, do not commit adultery, but he showed mercy and compassion to the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. We want to be a people of compassion and mercy, generosity in all things, and this church, this is, it is who we are. This is an incredibly generous church. You know, the, the, uh, as well as all the giving that, the, that folk are giving to financially to the regular work of our church, our Christmas offering, and it's closed now, stop giving, it's, it, it's, it's over £20,000 that goes to those who are in need and our missionaries. Uh, generosity, but it's generosity in so much more than money. It's generosity in our time. It's generosity in our caring. It's generosity in giving away the best that we have. It's generosity in our possessions. Generosity with our homes. Generosity in every way. And we want to be generous as a church, as a mark of who we are. We want to be a church that lives in intimacy in intimacy. We want to be a church that, that is intimate in our worship. There's songs to Jesus more than about Jesus. We want to declare who he is. It's, worship's more about him than it is about us. We want to sing songs that are, that, are, that are to Jesus, about Jesus, for Jesus, with Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus. We want this to be all about Jesus, but also also, as his people, as a chosen people, we want to be uh, uh, intimate with one another in every, in every way that is right, to, to be a people of belonging. And so this is who we are. And knowing that, who we want to be, 
that affects where we are going. That will affect where we are going. And um, I want to say this in as positive a way as possible, but I'm just, I just feel once I need to say it in a negative way. Um, and there's a reason for that, because sometimes it, it makes it clearer. You know, we want to be a people who love the whole of the rest of God's church. We love, we're, we're part of the Church of England. We, we want to love every other part of the Church of England. We're, we're committed to the Anglican Church. And we want to love those who would see things differently to us. And we want to love all the other church groupings. We want, we're part of a wider family. We may not agree, but we're going we're gonna to be in heaven together. But I want to say, for example, what we're not. We, I, I, we love Hillsong. I love Hillsong. I, I'll serve them anytime I can. We are not Hillsong. And we're not going to be Hillsong. I love what lots of things that are coming out of Bethel. Their openness to the Spirit. Their, lots of great things. We are not Bethel and we're not going to be Bethel. You know, even those that are very close to us, HTB, uh, I love them. What Nikki and Pippa Gumbel and their team are doing with Evangelism Alpha, it is stunning. It is wonderful. We honour them. We are not them and we're not going to be them. And we have certain distinctives that aren't in opposition to these others, not in opposition, but that are, we need to know who we are if we need to know where we're going and what it is that we are trying to build. Years ago, uh, there was a guy in our church called Colin Brooks, and Colin uh, led our Soul Time course, and our Soul 61 course, whatever it was called in those days, and he was also in part of our worship team. He was our, our first drummer. And then he left to get ordained. And uh, just before Colin went, I said to Colin, um, Colin, is there anything that you think that we could grow in, that we could do better in? And Colin said some nice things about where we were at. And then he said, there's one thing, Mike, I want to challenge you on. And he said, and this was a time when we were getting lots of publicity and lots of kudos for Soul Survivor and, and for the festivals and all of that. And he said, you've got a lot of visibility. He said, but where are you investing in obscurity? And do you know that question has stayed with me and haunted me? I mean, he must have said that 23 years ago, ever since. Invest in obscurity. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus. You know, he, 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 he didn't go further than about 60, 70 miles from the place he was born all his life. I know, I, when I'm not in lockdown, I'm on planes all over the world. But he didn't. He spent most of his time with a small group investing in them. He didn't go for all the, 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 the great publicity stuff. He invested in obscurity, and we want to be a people who do that. We want to be a people who, who love our neighbour and don't issue a press release about it. We want to be a people who will feed the hungry and uh, don't put it all over social media that we've done it. We want to be a people who invest in others because we love them, not because it makes us look good. And uh, investing in obscurity, I think, is the mark.
of a true Christian. You know, it's, we, we, it's, not, it's not about being popular. It's about getting hold of a towel and washing other people's feet. Uh, we want to we seek to be popular with him. He's the one we want to have popular to be popular with, and it's and it's about. I, I worry sometimes about our focus on celebrity, and uh, if we can just get this celebrity in the church, or we know someone who knows that celebrity. You know what? There's only one flipping celebrity we want in our church, and his name is Jesus. He is enough. His name. His name has drawing power. His name has kudos. And we want to follow the one celebrity and, and he will share his glory with no other. And that's part of what we want to do. We want to be popular with him. We want to be, we want to be a people who please him rather than pleasing the world around us. We don't want to aim to be unpopular, but if we aim... If we aim for popularity with the world around us, we will miss it with our Saviour and our King and our Lord, the only one to whom we owe allegiance. Also, we want to be a church where there is leadership and there's appointed leadership and God-appointed leadership, but we don't want to be a church where there's a hierarchy, where it's the anointed few that do all the, all the, the ministry and are the important people. Uh, uh, we want to be a church with every member ministry where everyone has equal value, everyone is important and everyone can hear God's voice. Yes, there needs to be leadership. Yes, there needs to be accountability. But the leadership is servant leadership. The leadership is compassionate leadership. The leadership is leadership that doesn't hold power to itself but releases others to rise up and to serve and to build. We want to be a people who seek his initiating, his initiation. We want to be led by the Spirit, not a people who are constantly trying to tell the Spirit what he should be doing. Now, I'm not saying we do any of these things well, but this is our intention. This is our aim. We set our, our, our minds, we set our faces towards this, we want to wait for him and let him lead. We are not Pentecostal. We are not charismatic. Uh, uh, it, we are, we, what we are, what we are is, is we're a bit more like the early Quakers, I hope. This is what we want to be. We want to be a people who wait until the spirit moves. And then when the spirit moves and when the spirit speaks, we follow. I love the quote from uh, John Wimber from years ago. Uh, he said, I'm not against planning, I'm not against strategy, I am for planning, but only after God has spoken. And so we want to be a people who seek his face, who seek his face, who do what he says, who live in obedience. Then, coming into land, we want to be uh, an Antioch church rather than a Jerusalem church. Now, I need to explain that very briefly. In the Acts of the Apostles, the, the, the Jerusalem church had all the stars in it, the, 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 the former disciples of Jesus, the great apostles. It was the centre. It was the centre of the church. But do you know, if you read the Acts of the Apostles carefully, 
there wasn't an awful lot of mission out of that church. And where there was mission, it was when persecution scattered them and they ended up in different places. Now, the Jerusalem church was the, um, the, the key church in the first half of the Acts of the Apostles, but from about halfway, if you read the, 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 the book, uh, the focus go, moves from Jerusalem to Antioch. And Antioch was in the periphery. It was away, it was not the centre of the universe, it was out in the sticks, and yet it became the church of mission. It became the church of giving, it became the church planting church. Out of Antioch they sent Paul and Silas, um, Paul and Barnabas and then Paul and Silas out on their missionary journeys. They were the church that kept giving away. We long, we long, we're not saying we are that, we long to be that kind of church. And so there are practical things that we want to do as we come out of this horrible phase in our world's history with COVID. Uh, we, we, we want to be a church planting church like we've never been before. Um, we're going, we want to join with others who have the, a resemblance like us, a family likeness. And uh, we're talking with other um, church leaders, that um, most of whom planted out of us, and about being a family. And we've got friends uh, in different parts of the world who belong to other denominational or so-called non-denominational groups that we are close to because there's a family likeness. And this isn't about forming a hierarchy. I'm, I've never, ever wanted to... We, we've got enough empires in the Christian church. I'm not interested in being involved in starting another one. But I got a little bit kind of confused, and, and I was saying to people, I'm not, we're not starting another movement. And then Andy and I were talking to our friend Neil, um, Neil Young, who leads the Causeway Coast Vineyard, and I said to him, I don't want to start a movement. And he said, why not? And I said, well, we've got enough movements. And he said, but a movement is just something that moves. Don't you want to be moving? Don't you want to be moving together? And it's not about us starting movement. We want to be a family with other churches for the sake of the gospel. And it's, there's going to be no hierarchy. There's going to be no levels of leadership or anything like that. We just want to serve together and serve one another and plant churches together. Um, we, uh, Andy and I, we had a, a meeting uh, a few months ago with Rick Thorpe, who is the bishop of church planting in the Anglican Church, and another guy who works with the Archbishop of Canterbury called Philip James. They asked to meet with us, and uh, I wasn't sure what it was about. And then Rick um, threw, threw us by saying, I want to challenge you as sole survivor and, and this is crazy, but he said, will you commit, will you, will you aim to plant a thousand churches in the next 10 years? My thought was, I was thinking three. And, uh, and, and I was like, what are you talking about a thousand churches in the next 10 years? And he said, I'm deliberately setting the bar at a place that is impossible unless you rethink the way you do things and unless you trust God and we were like mm, not sure about this but actually the more we've prayed about it and as a team the more we've thought about it the more we sense God is calling us 
to, in a more strategic way, give it away. We need to plant churches that have this DNA to, to go alongside all the other kinds of churches. And what we've realized as we've talked, you know, there's again in the church of Jesus, there's, there's, there's an emphasis on success equals very, very large. Success equals, you know, you're successful if your numbers are, are huge. And I got caught up in that at times, I'll be honest with you, and I regret that deeply. But we've realized we would rather plant a thousand churches of a hundred people than a hundred churches each of a thousand people. Because it's, it's, it's the, the, the churches that are in their communities that reach their neighbors, that reach people. We, the last thing we need is more consumer churches. Forgive me for saying it like that, where people come and have everything done for them and that there's no there's no place where they have to serve. We, we, we want to plant churches of committed followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, who will, who will reach and love their neighbors. We want to be, in the coming years, we want to be generous. Remember, what, as we said earlier, about giving away our best, giving away, raising up leaders and sending them at a cost to us where it hurts us, uh, giving money to plant churches where we see no benefit, but the benefit is the kingdom because we're sowing into the kingdom. We're sowing into, into the kingdom of heaven. We're, we're giving for Jesus and not for something that we will see benefit of. Now, we want to grow. Every church needs to grow. Every church wants to grow, but it's not for the sake of growth. I, I would love us to have the resources the more resources we have, the more churches we can plant, the more generous we can be. We want to raise up leaders and then send them. And we want to support them. We want to support them with finance at the beginning. We want to support them with our love. We want to support them with our fellowship. And of course it will be costly. Any parent that's... Uh, uh, Andy and Beth, and we've said Andy is dreading the day already when his boys leave home. But also he's looking forward to that day because he knows he will have done a good job if they leave home well. And, and there's, there's that bittersweet thing if you're a parent, as you see your kids growing up and becoming more independent, it's like there's a bit of you that wants to hold them, but do you really want to hold them to be five years old forever? Of course not because you love them. And what we want to do is we want to send people out to go on adventures, crazy adventures for Jesus. And as I come into land, all of this is for his glory, not our glory. It's about his reputation, not our reputation. I'm done with all that. I'm so done with all that. It's for him. Let us be, to the best of our ability, good and faithful servants that he says to us when we see him face to face, well done, good and faithful servants. This is our vision. This is our calling. And I say it again, do not misunderstand. We love and honour all the re 
the whole church. We are part of a family. We are part of a bigger family. But you know what? What I'm saying is we have our own likeness. You know, we, we love the relatives, but this is how we look. And in a family, everyone looks different, you know, but, but it doesn't mean they think they're better. It doesn't mean they think they're, they're, they're better looking, although obviously some of us are. But we want to love and serve the whole church, and we want to go on adventure to reach our communities with the good news of Jesus in word and deed, in the things we say and in the way that we live, that there's an attractiveness that comes from him and not because we have a slogan and not because we have an easy Twitter phrase and not because we say platitudes that we think people want to hear. They need Jesus and we want to give ourselves to pointing to him. Amen.